With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. This is the Limbit Opic Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Good morning, one and all. Lambert Opic here on TNT Radio, the home of free speech. I'm with you for this hour. Uh, I've made a policy decision. I'm just going to tell you what GMT is, and you'll have to work the rest out for yourself. It's four minutes past seven here in the United Kingdom. Uh, GMT is the same as local time. We celebrate winter by making ourselves even more miserable, by making it go dark early. Uh, Classic British uh, stiff upper lip there. Uh, Wherever you are, you're most welcome to join us uh, in the chat and also in the debate on the phone. Uh, We just had Dan uh, calling in just before the break there. complaining that uh, uh, we'd been making fun of Pauline Hansen. Uh, on reflection, I don't really feel we were, Dan, but you're perfectly entitled to make your point, and that's, that is the point here. Uh, if you have an objection, if you don't like something you said, well, I'll do, well, we will do our best to give you a right to reply. Uh, others may have a d- different view as well. Maybe you agree with Dan. Uh, it's certainly not our intention to disrespect people, not even people who we disagree with. Uh, I've noticed that even with my enemies, they deserve respect, uh, even if they don't respect me. It's an easier way to live life. Nevertheless, Dan, I'm sorry it was a very short uh, contribution that you were able to make there. Uh, I wasn't trying to cut you off. We just had to get to the news, and I really wanted you to have the opportunity to have your say in this hour. I guess that's uh, free speech at its best. Uh, Coming up in this hour, we've got Gemma Cooper in a moment with her own unique and erudite take on what's going on around the world. I've got a question for her about Christmas lights as well. It'll all be explained in a moment if you weren't listening in the first hour. Uh, we've got Ivilo Yordanov, who's a lawyer and also a member of the ruling party in Bulgaria, in Sofia. They've just had a mayoral election there. Why do we go there? Because it gives a good insight into what politics is like in former Soviet countries uh, that have made the transition to being independent and, well, maybe not that independent because they're members of the European Union. Uh, we've also followed uh, Bulgaria because it's something of a of a litmus paper. It's something of a test case, a straw in the wind for how many similar countries in that area are thinking. And we will uh, then also hopefully be discussing some other wider political issues, including the Joe Biden and Xi Jinping meeting. And it's that I want to just briefly uh, refer to now before we go to Gemma. You will recall that not so long ago, we had uh, America virtually threatening to go to war with China. What was all that about? Uh, there's some sort of sense there that uh, we had the right to to threaten the largest and most populous country in the world, which makes most of our stuff because we don't do it anymore because we think that uh, Chinese CO2 is safer than British and American CO2. It's all safe, by the way. And then lo and behold, sleepy Joe Biden invites his archenemy for tea over in America. It's just very confusing. Are we meant to hate the Chinese? Are we meant to love the Chinese? I'll tell you, I worked in China for a while, first in Hong Kong and then in Guangzhou, and I found it a very enlightening experience. I would say that the Chinese love their children too. They want to have a good standard of living. They're not that interested in politics, and they make things, and they work pretty hard. So I much prefer it when we all get on versus when we all threaten each other. But 
What does this tell us about international politics? Uh, it's actually a little bit the same as what's been happening in the United Kingdom, where for a long time we had this monolithic support for one kind of uh, position when it comes to the Gaza Strip. But suddenly in the Israel-Gaza conflict, more than 50 UK Labour MPs defied their own leader because they wanted a ceasefire. Now, in the past, I thought ceasefires were a good thing. Not fighting was a good thing. But now, apparently, you can be disciplined if you vote for a ceasefire in British Parliament. A little bit like the topsy-turvy world of American Sino-American policies, we've now got a topsy-turvy world where you're on the wrong side if you support peace. It's actually even more complicated because there are nuances within uh, Gaza itself on this. What I'm trying to say is, if the decisions made by our leaders are so fluid, how is everyone else meant to know what to think? That is the essence of free speech. And you only get an answer to that if you get all the facts. That's what we try and do right here on TNT Radio. World News reported right. I try to find news outlets that aren't too biased. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Joining me now is somebody who is a truth ambassador, a crusader for facts. It's Gemma Cooper. Gemma, welcome back again this morning. Uh, you were talking about your Christmas lights. I don't want to occupy the whole time on it, but I have a suggestion. Why, instead of sticking Christmas lights up on the walls, don't you project them? Why don't you have like lasers and spotlights so that nothing has to be glued to the wall at all? Or is that too boring? Is that like having pretend pictures of tinsel? I, I think that would send me over the edge, actually, just getting a projector, doing it all. I'm just, I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> I think I bored, <laughs> okay. I bored everybody rigid, didn't I, last hour with my Christmas lights saga. Uh, and it's a very emotional topic for me. And that's really not what I'm paid to do here on CNC Radio, bring my own personal issues to the table, much as oh, I did enjoy I it. Thank you. <laughs> No, that that's fine. It actually was uh, not very not very subtly leading to another quick question, which is the something you mentioned some time ago, which is quite salient as we get towards Christmas. The extent to which some organisations don't want to recognise Christmas at all, in case we offend people, and I find that uh, and we don't need to go into it now. I think that's going to be something I'd like to return to in the weeks ahead, uh, because it's almost like we don't give ourselves permission to in the united kingdom which is broadly god's large christian tradition to actually celebrate christian events um but anyway uh that's that's for what for then what would you like to talk about instead instead of christmas and christmas lights well actually that is a, that is a good point we talked about this last week and since we discussed it here on tnt radio the story that i know you're referring to has has gained more traction mm. and that of course is the story about the national trust which yeah. is a huge institution here in the UK that protects stately homes and our traditions. And I mean, I say traditions, it's the traditions of the ruling classes, but uh, it, it ignored Christmas in an, in an internal calendar that it gave to all its volunteers. It put all the other festivals in, you know, Diwali and, and Ramadan, and that's fine, that's great, that's brilliant, that's all those festivals. And it even put Black Lives Matter and Black, Black History Month and all those things, but it didn't put Christmas and Easter in its own internal calendar, you know, for UK volunteers who prop up the National Trust of the UK. And like you say, we live in a Western Christian tradition. We'll just leave Christmas out, you know, and that's a worrying 
trend. You're you're absolutely right. That story's gone around the world now. We we discussed it here last week mm. because obviously we are first mm. with the facts and first with the news here on TNT, where we see an agenda at play. Um, so yeah, I wonder the National Trust has tried to lead the way on that kind of like dumbing down of of our own traditions and 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 culture and, mm. and spiritual culture too. You know, Christmas is huge. Uh, no, we just ignore it. Oh, don't worry about it. Yeah. The whole, the whole and, of the Western world goes into lockdown on Christmas Day. We'll just ignore it, you know. Yeah, and and, and although I know you want to talk about some something else, my my feeling is this is going to become one of the pushbacks against this increasingly detached woke environment where you almost have to apologise for your heritage, and I sense that maybe we're going to get a few uh, uh, in incendiary points there maybe christmas uh, maybe some other things too uh and once again i note this but we'll discuss this more next week uh the fact that the british police are in fairly hot water or the, the london metropolitan police allegedly for different kind of policing and uh at least one cabinet minister tends to agree with that concern anyway new paragraph what's on your mind <laughs> Well, uh, it, it's it's a it's a slightly esoteric one, but not is that yesterday, um, Edinburgh Castle. I thought we'd go to my favourite country in the world, which is part of the UK, and that is Scotland. And we don't talk about Scotland much here on TNT, probably because it's only got five million people, um, and and it's not something that comes onto the kind of news agenda that often, actually. But yesterday, the world famous Edinburgh Castle or Edinburgh. Edinburgh, if you want to really like look at the history of Scotland and where where Scotland has come from, Edinburgh, Edinburgh Castle was um, on lockdown after activists smashed a case containing the Stone of Scone. And this is otherwise known as the Stone of Destiny. And it's the stone that's transported to Westminster Abbey and has been for hundreds of years and put under the coronation throne for whoever's being crowned as the king or queen of England and the United Kingdom uh, sits on the stone. Its, it's origins, <laughs> I'm not going to go into it here because it will just dominate the chat and, and maybe not in a good way, but the origins of this stone, some say, are extraterrestrial. Otherwise, it's known mm. as Jacob's Pillow Stone, and it's allegedly the stone which Jacob rested his head at Bethel, and it's now used in coronation ceremonies. It has been for hundreds and hundreds of years. And you, it came from Scone castle in scotland anyway so they smashed the case and they they sprayed the words in gallic actually which is interesting the people are mightier than the lord the whole of the castle almost the whole of the castle went into lockdown um but of course it's it's our good friends eco activists that have done this oh. they're from the campaign yeah i know you can see you here heaving a I, sigh of i knew it was coming I just yeah. knew that was coming as well. <laughs> Go on. So they're called uh, the Scottish version of, I think, Just Stop Oil or Extinction Rebellion, but they they, they call themselves This Is Rigged. Um, and they're calling for an end to oil and gas. And they're also, they carried out this act. They say, I, I don't know why they do this because it doesn't win hearts and minds. They So they smashed the case containing the stone to make supermarkets reduce the price of baby products, baby food formula, which is expensive. I, I know that. Um, and, and they also are calling on the Scottish government to fund community food hubs for 500 people. Um, but why do this? Why? What do they think they will achieve? Last week, a few of them were in court, but they walked free after they glued themselves to a road 
near Falkirk to disrupt the World Cycling Championships, um, which they didn't really have to do because there's so few people in Scotland and there's so many wonderful roads. I, they would have just gone round them. I mean, it's just there's not like this, this traffic congestion up there. It's a beautiful country, absolutely stunning country. Um, but it's again this kind of they're all in they're all young. Uh, they're all in their 20s. Three people were arrested yesterday as a result of this. Um, and I wonder, is this an example of kind of eco brainwashing, which is sweeping the planet? You're talking about the woke agenda canceling Christmas. Mm. And I think is this woke agenda, you know, just sweeping through our, our young generation. I mean, we're we're older, we're in our 50s and we're like, oh, young people aren't what they used to be. Well, they're not. No, they're not because they're being brainwashed by this whole climate, eco, you know, they're getting themselves criminal records all around the planet. Yeah. Um, I haven't had time to look at who's funding this particular group. I mean, we've talked about Just Stop Oil being funded by a huge uh, climate emergency fund in the United States, which is backed mm. by some very powerful billionaires. I'm not sure who's behind this one or whether it's more of a grassroots campaign, but certainly smashing the case containing the Stone of Scone, the Stone of Destiny, is not going to... <laughs> endure themselves to the supermarkets to reduce the price of baby food is it doesn't seem to add up and it's just this blinkered uh one size fits all approach to climate activism that is really beginning to wear a little bit thin but it isn't going anywhere um and, and like you always say when i bring stories to the table like this one have they looked at the science and this one isn't about co2 this is oil and gas which is what Just Stop Oil is about. It's about oil and gas, oil and gas. And obviously we've just, in the UK, Rishi Sunak has announced a lot more licenses for oil and gas. But I don't think this approach is going to stop anything. Yeah. <laughs> if you, you know, yeah. it just really isn't. Um, actually, uh, it's, bear with me on this. It'll take 30 seconds. When a star like the sun burns, it burns hydrogen, it's dead stable then it runs out of hydrogen and starts burning other stuff and it gets less stable and then in the end it's burning anything it can find inside and then it blows up and i think that's what's happening to the environmental movement because initially they were making these points they were making impassioned pleas i didn't think they were logical but they were doing it they were coming on television they were making their articles and then as they've got more and more ignored they've started doing more and more dumb things there is absolutely nothing that you can possibly say the stone of scone has to do with baby food and yet, just to get the headlines, they cause massive cultural disruption in a way which will be very offensive to many Scot Scottish people, I might add. Uh, is it possible, do you think, that like a dying star, they're just going to blow themselves out? Absolutely. I think that is likely to be happening. Well, maybe to people like us, they're blowing themselves out. But I wonder that, that all these people, they're very young, they're in their early 20s, and the Just Stop Oil activists that uh, vandalised the, the Velasquez painting in the National Gallery in, the UK, in, in London uh, just a few days ago, we talked about that story, yeah, is that yeah. I, think, I think amongst themselves, they're absolutely not burning themselves out. I think they are filled with this zeal, which is brainwashed. They've been brainwashed. They have... Absolutely in school. I think I mentioned about my my godson when I, I was chatting to him when I, he was like five or six, and I said, "Well, what you know? He like he liked my car, you know, my little Fiat five hundred. And he's and I said, "What kind of car would you like, darling, when you grow up?" And he said, "Oh, I, I won't have a car, fairy godmother. Oh, it's bad for the planet." And he was six. Oh. 
And I was like, what? You know, this is this. What? No, have a car. Have a car. No, 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 no. That's what they teach us in school. So all of these kids, you know, they've been brainwashed from primary school and they genuinely believe it. I don't think they're going anywhere. I think we're looking at them with disdain, but I don't think I think we're going to be talking about more stories like this because it is actual mind control. I'm going to be uh, contacting a school this afternoon based on uh, contact I had in the chat on TNT yesterday when uh, her child was marked one out of nine for challenging whether CO2 is wrecking the climate. The child said, actually, CO2 follows climate rather than is driven by it, which is correct, uh, actually. Uh, when the oceans get warmer, it pumps out CO2 and it gets colder, it sucks it back in again. And I'm going to find out what that school's policy is and say to them, could you send me the science behind what you did to damage that child's understanding of the world? Uh, what worries me most, Gemma, is when we start having this counter-scientific agenda, it's very, very reminiscent of some totalitarian countries in the 1930s and 1940s. And, and once you start punishing truth, it's, there's no real limit to how far you can go. Um, thank you, uh, Gemma. Really good to see you again. Uh, what do you think about this? Has your child been told the wrong thing and been punished and forced to say the right thing in any of these senses. And, and to what extent do you agree with what Gemma has just been describing there fundamentally and taking a step back here, how much is truth and free speech under threat? We, TNT Radio, exists to try and put free speech back on the map. Uh, you don't have to always agree with us and you will always be given a, uh, an opportunity to respond if you want to uh, here on TNT Radio. Uh, you just need to go to tntradio.live. Uh, you'll find the chat there and you'll find the phone numbers. So give a call to say you violently agree or violently disagree. Um, uh, just one last thing before you go, Gemma. A question from Mali Bites. It's a bit random, but hey, ask Gemma if she is the lady that keeps an open mind regarding the supernatural as I do. And if so, what are the thoughts on dogmen as being brought up in a farming background uh, you've got one sentence on that Gemma if you have any view well the supernatural or the paranormal or the well just I, the paranormal do, do you think do you think that there are things do, do you think there are psychic phenomena that's a bit of an oversimplification yes. Oh God, yes, yes. There's more okay. to this, uh, the more than the five sense reality. Yeah, we've all got the sixth sense. We've all got intuition. We're all multidimensional beings. We live in lots of dimensions at the same time. Oh, don't get me started. I could do a whole show on this, Lembert. So, in, yeah. in, in, <laughs> in which case, you better get into the chat because there's an awful lot of chat about it today. Uh, so uh, if you want to have a chat with Gemma on that, you can uh, join the debate there. And in terms of free speech, what do you feel? Is it being eaten away? TNT Radio is here to put it back right in the centre of global reporting and news commentary. That's with me, Lambert Topic, here on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Katie Hopkins. Regardless of your own personal opinion, I find the moral clarity of what he says here to be both refreshing and having sat recently with Jewish friends just back in from Israel, someone standing and saying this, I think is precisely the kind of language people are looking for. I want to make clear Israel's position regarding the ceasefire. Just as the United States would not agreed to a ceasefire after the bombing of Pearl Harbor or after the terrorist attack of 9-11. Israel will not agree to a cessation of hostilities with Hamas after the horrific attacks of October 7th. Calls for a ceasefire are calls for Israel to surrender to Hamas, to surrender to terrorism. There is a time for peace and there is a time 
for war and Israel will stand. And uh, clearly I've received uh, and I will receive and I will continue to uh, receive a criticism for being a major supporter of Israel and people's right to have one nation state when Arab countries have 22 or 23, depending on which way you divide them. But I think clarity is needed. Katie Hopkins on TNT Radio. A better business tip from TNT Radio. One reason people tune in to TNT Radio is often because they're loyal to a specific show or personality. Our personalities have been a part of people's daily routine, and people continue to tune in. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. We don't rock, rock, rock. we talk. talk. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Lebedovic with you. It's 24 minutes past seven in the United Kingdom. That's GMT. Thank you for joining us wherever you are in the world. A few comments here. Josh says they're chopping down koala trees here for windmill farms. It's insane. I second that emotion. I think they just completely lost the plot on that one particularly. Uh, and then uh, uh, another point here, uh, Just Stop Oil. Mogden has, let's just say, a very low opinion of them Mogden I know I'm paraphrasing but I can't possibly read out what you said and that might annoy some people but I'm just not going to swear on air because children could be listening uh and uh Josh says common sense Australia first Lembert is a winner that's why keen to learn oh that's nice okay thank you very much that's very good of you uh uh, Mazzy points out mother's milk is the best convenient chemical based alternative and uh, just two more for you uh, Mogden says everything we need for health is on the planet rather than a Rockefeller created chemical pharmaceutical and uh, one more for you uh, this is in response to my crusade to try and right a wrong which has been meted on a child in the United Kingdom in the school marked one out of nine for in my view being correct about uh, the fact CO2 is not wrecking our planet. Chris says, I ask why parents don't question schools more. That's a very good point. Um, and Mali Bites, yes, I know I got it wrong. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. He says, let me bless you. But I was asking about Dogman. I already know Gemma is into the supernatural. Thank you, though. Yes, Mali Bites, I got myself in a mess there. Because I only read half of your message. That wasn't censorship. It was just incompetence. Please forgive me. Uh, somebody who's never incompetent joins us now. Uh, he's, in fact, a highly qualified lawyer uh, in Bulgaria. And for our purposes, also a member of the ruling party uh, in Bulgaria. It's Ivailo Yordanov, uh, who will tell us what his party is. Is. And then we're going to talk about an election which took place in Sofia, the capital of Bulgaria. Why does this matter? Number one, because we don't always just focus on Britain and Australia. We're a global station. And number two, because Bulgaria is a very good example of a country which has made a tremendous transition across the last 30 years from the days of the Soviet Union into a different state. So it helps us understand a little bit more about the world around us. Uh, Ivalo, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us here on TNT Radio. Good morning. Uh, first of all, uh, uh, tell us about your political party. Uh, it's a ruling party. What's it called and what's it stand for? Uh, so our party is called Continue the Change. Uh, it's uh, part of the ruling coalition, or not quite a coalition as we call it here at the moment. And we have, yeah, our party stands for change obviously but yeah we want to make bulgaria more like the prosperous western countries we have always admired so yeah and this is and so you're plenty, in but put, yeah so you're you're in a coalition you're a progressive party 
And yes. just a little, just a little bit for for listeners who haven't been to Bulgaria, um, if you can, what has been the brief history of Bulgaria from the days it was part of the Soviet Union to the present day, politically? So, ah, politically, so maybe start from there. It was a poor, miserable country under the Soviet rule, and. Now, I was recently to Portugal and they saw that we are not as poor and miserable compared to the rest of Europe as we used to be. <laughs> that's a very, that's an incredibly concise yeah. summary. I'm really impressed. Thank you. Ivalo. Um, uh, I, you'd be a great, you'll be a great politician <laughs> whenever you get oh, into the you. parliament there. Thank you very much. So, uh, so uh, yes. the reason you're on is because of the developing story of a, a victory yes. for your party in Sofia, where yes. I understand the mayor's position is a very powerful one. Uh, first yes. of all, before we talk about what happened in the election, how powerful is the mayor of Sofia? Mm, he's pretty powerful because um, uh, at least a third of Bulgaria's population now lives in Sofia and. Uh, uh, Yes, so the fate of the, of the country's population more or less depends on the decisions of the mayor of Sofia. So yeah, this is a very so, important position for us. So it's an important position, and your party won it. Now, I yes. want to talk about the politics, and uh, what I'm really hoping we can do is is use the example of this election to understand how uh, democracy has, has really taken hold across the last few decades, and... Uh, in some ways, you actually do it better than yeah. places like Britain. So tell us about the election campaign that you were involved in in Sofia for, for the mayoralty. Well, well, we actually um, started very early uh, this time in uh, Bulgaria. The, uh, the election campaign is supposed to last a month before the actual election. But we actually started from the summer, uh, handing leaflets, uh, waiting for people at the exit of the subway and so that we can speak with them and our candidate was very active he held events every week at least every week somewhere in sofia communicating to people and this was for several months from the summer until uh, the end of last month and the, the result has paid it has paid definitely uh, it was quite a narrow victory. Uh, and yes. what would you say were the main? Yeah, I want uh, after we're going to go to a break in a minute. But before we go to the break, what were the main issues that uh, decided the election? Uh, well, I, we had definitely the most appealing candidate because the, our main opponent. We are well. We are the sort of not quite a coalition, but that's still our main opponent. The GERB party, which used to rule Bulgaria for more than 10 years, uh, they pulled out a TV presenter at the last time as their candidates. <laughs> this obviously didn't work out very well for them, and uh, so it turned out that uh, at the second round of the election, our main opponent was a woman from the Socialist Party who mm. is totally pro-Moscow, pro-Putin, and yeah, she Officers to take us back to the Soviet Union, so we oh, Sofia is never is not going to back such a candidate. I was sure that we are going to win, and it was narrow, but we won. Thank you. Hold, stay with us, Vilo, because we're going to talk about the politics of okay. uh, Europe from your perspective in a moment. Uh, so yes. that's Ivalo Ordonov uh, joining us live from Sofia. Uh, I'm going to explore how it feels to be 
in post-Soviet Bulgaria uh, in just a few minutes. This is Dan Topic and it's TNT Radio. TNT Radio News. Huge news. 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 <laughs> Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Israel announced late Tuesday its forces had stormed the Al-Shifa hospital in Gaza City, while thousands of Palestinian civilians were still sheltering inside. Indonesian President Joko Widodo has used a meeting with US President Joe Biden to call on America to do more to stop the war. Finland is gearing up to close its border with Russia, and former Fox News host Tucker Carlson has popped up in Spain. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda, it never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. Uh, Let me do a bit with you for this half hour. After that, we've got Katie Hopkins. Uh, thanks for joining me uh, wherever you are in the world. Just after half past seven in the morning in the UK, uh, that's Greenwich Mean Time. Uh, do feel free to get involved in the chat. Um, if you can answer Mally Bites' dogman question, please do so. I can't really help you. I'm afraid on that one. It doesn't really fit into my current affairs remit, but it does show we're allowed everything. Uh, we allow everything here. And uh, Madrid says the third biggest killer on the planet after heart and cancer is a GP and nobody goes to prison. There was a time actually, uh, maybe 150 years ago, where apparently if you went to see a doctor, you were more likely to die rather than less likely to die. But I suppose we all got to learn somewhere. Uh, I could never imagine we would ever go back to a time when we used the human race as a guinea pig experiment mm, except when it comes to vaccinations but well, no doubt come back to that on tnt radio in the future but now we're going back to sophia live with ivalo yordanov member of the continuing the change party one of the ruling coalition parties in bulgaria and i want to explore with you ivalo what it feels like to be in a post-soviet democracy now you're probably too young to really have been very aware of the Soviet system, but you must have seen changes. What have you noticed changing from the time when uh, the Soviet Union was supreme to the time where you're now an independent, well, a country within the European Union? Um, yes, I, uh, yes, uh, Bulgaria was definitely much poorer in the 90s uh, after when the Soviet Union collapsed. You can see, you could say, traveled to Western Europe uh, Italy and France at that time, and you could really, really see the difference. And as I mentioned before, now there is not much of a difference with many parts of Europe. So the change is obvious. Uh, the living you, standards and everything. Uh, one, one of the questions which might be asked is you, you left one union and joined another. Why didn't yes. Bulgaria want to remain an independent country? Why did it join the European Union? Because again, when you see the countries which uh, haven't joined uh, the EU yet on the Balkans, we have several of them on the Balkans, like Serbia and Macedonia. Again, the difference is obvious. Bulgaria is clearly doing better than those countries. Mm. Uh, so it was a practical decision to be in a different yeah. union. But on, so, so in principle, Bulgaria was happy to be in a union, but it just wanted to be in a different one. 
Yes, you can put trackers. And if uh, if a listener went to Bulgaria now, what would they find? Would they find people uh, living the same as they would in Berlin and Frankfurt and and yeah. London, or, or are there differences? Well, it depends. Some in all countries of the world, some people are living very well, and some people are not living well. But we definitely have more people living well than we used to. So yeah, for the for part for at least part of the population is uh, no worse than Western European those in IT and so on. Yeah. Uh, and so then we move on to the more sensitive questions I wanted to ask. Sure. What is the relationship like between Bulgaria and Russia? Obviously, Russia is not the same as the former Soviet Union. I'm yeah. told that there is a fairly strong uh, positive relationship between the two countries. Uh, yeah, because uh, Bulgaria and Russia have a uh, shared history. Uh, they speak almost the same language. Uh, uh, Russia liberated Bulgaria from Ottoman Turkey, so yeah, we have uh, lots of connections, and uh, uh, yes, we can say, say that particularly the older people who are not doing so well financially, they are, based, mm -hmm. they are supporters of Russia still quite a lot, but yeah, but especially among the older generation, but the younger generation in the cities, uh, the big cities like Sofia, definitely prefer the West. So it's complicated. Uh, I, yeah. Uh, so there is actually an age rift, maybe because some nostalgically remember the good old days, whereas perhaps people yes. more of your generation look yes. to a different kind of future. Yes, definitely. And yeah, of course, there are those people who are dissatisfied with the changes, and they would they think that they would be better under Russian, Russian rule, which is highly doubtful. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the other question about the global politics before I come back to Sophia. Yeah. Uh, what is Bulgaria's position when it comes to the dispute between Ukraine and Russia? Well, as I mentioned, said, the, yeah, the government is 100% behind Ukraine and uh, the younger generation, the wealthier people, which are generally poor, generally pro Westerner, of course, supportive of Ukraine. I know some people who are very supportive of Ukraine, and then there is the other part of the country, the older, poor, poor part of the population, which is uh, traditionally pro-Russian, so they don't like Ukraine at all. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, the government, our party, are 100% behind Ukraine. Okay, so there's a split there as well. Uh, let's yes. return, which isn't unusual. I think that's reflective of many parts of the world, uh, yeah. though you wouldn't always think so if you just watch the mainstream media. Uh, let's go back to Sofia. So uh, you've you've won the election in Sofia. Uh, your party has done so. What will be the measure of success? I know it's just happened, but what will be the, which is of course why it's newsworthy. What will be the measure of success uh, for the new mayor uh, when uh, he begins to uh, actually apply his authority? Mm. Ultimate measure is, if, of course, if he gets re-elected again. But, <laughs> I suppose that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's a very but, yeah, honest we have lots of We have lots of work on roads, buildings, yeah. Maybe if Sofia looks uh, that better uh, next year by this time, yeah, that would be a success. 
and yeah, we have you know, we have lots and lots of works, particularly in the uh, in the peripheral neighborhoods, but also in the city center, everywhere in the city. I I have been to I've been to Sofia yes. many times, and I think it's a very yeah. attractive city, and it's got a real life yeah, to it. Uh, what? Well, I, I I applaud it. I had never been to Bulgaria till about five years ago, and uh, and now I really like it. Uh, in terms of your party, then, and in terms of the commitment that you're making to Bulgaria and to Sofia, if you were to summarize what people can expect, because Continue the Change now essentially runs the city, what would you say will be the difference? If I come there in one year's time, what will be different because your man won? Well, better roads with no holes, uh, uh, fixed pavements, less uh, decrepit buildings, I hope. <laughs> we okay, well, <laughs> I, shall, I, shall, uh, I shall come and look as soon as I can. Maybe do a live outside broadcast from there. Yeah. You'll definitely have to come on in that case. So uh, <laughs> thanks very much indeed. That is... Uh, that is uh, Ivilo. And I have to tell you, if you've never been to Bulgaria, I absolutely recommend it. I think it's a tremendous, really fascinating place, to be honest with you. Uh, and that's because uh, it has made us a peaceful transition from uh, a less wealthy past to a more wealthy present and perhaps an even more wealthy future. And that interesting point, it wasn't and you didn't object to being in a union. You just didn't want to be in the Soviet Union. Thank you, Avilo. That's Avilo Yordanov. Coming up next, uh, we're going to return to that uh, recurring story uh, and the, the rift which seems to be taking place in the British Labour Party, perhaps in the Australian one too, but certainly in the British Labour Party, uh, uh, as a result of a vote which occurred yesterday in the Houses of Parliament about a potential ceasefire. It'll be James Freeman, a uh, fellow TNT presenter, uh, joining me right here on TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Who says legislation isn't a contact sport? We nearly came to blows today in the United States Senate as Senator Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma squared off against Sean Butterbean O'Brien, the general president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. O'Brien had been very critical of Mullen on X, tweeting, greedy CEO who pretends like he's self-made. Just a clown and a fraud, always has been, always will be. Quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me, any place, any time, cowboy. Mark Wayne Mullen read that tweet and said, here is a place, now is a time you want to go? And Butterbean said, let's go. Cooler heads like Bernie Sanders intervened. They weren't going to come to blows anyway. This wasn't quite the caning of abolitionist Republican Senator Charles Sumner by pro-slavery Democrat Senator Preston Brooks of South Carolina in 1856, but it was good to see a Republican show a little spine, show a little enthusiasm for his position. Now, if we can only get Mark Wayne as focused on election integrity efforts and on budgetary issues as he is on posts on X. For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. Pre-diabetes does. One in three adults has pre-diabetes, but with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. And you can change the outcome. Take the one-minute pre-diabetes risk test today 
Go to doihaveprediabetes.org. This is the Lembit Opic Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Lambert Opic with you till eight o'clock, so it's another 15 minutes. uh, And I want to return to the subject I began with uh, almost two hours ago now. Time does fly on TNT Radio. Uh, And that's the unusual situation that the leader of the opposition, uh, that's the British Labour Party, finds himself in, Keir Starmer, when he's experienced a rebellion before he's even become a prime minister. Now, normally, just to explain, parties tend to be quite loyal. They tend to stick together. Uh, They don't want to rock the boat because they don't want to look divided because divided parties don't tend to win elections in the UK. And lo and behold, a quarter also of Keir Starmer's, maybe just under a quarter, of Keir Starmer's uh, Labour MPs voted against his direct instruction on a Gaza matter. Now, what was the vote? Why did it happen? And what are the implications? Joining me now is fellow TNT presenter, uh, James Freeman, who's got answers to all of that. James, very good morning to you. Thanks for being up so early. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) Good to um, come on the show, Lembit. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here, James. And uh, as one uh, political boffin to another, what's going on in Labour? Why did Keir have a revolt a year before the election? Yeah, it's uh, it's um I think I think at face value it is a bit confusing, isn't it? I mean, Labour get an awful lot of their vote um from I guess the Muslim bloc, um, particularly in inner cities around the UK. So it does uh, face value seem quite odd that he's taken this position because I think to a lot of people that aren't necessarily, you know, really involved in the conflict, it seems pretty sensible to call for a ceasefire, right? You've got um, hundreds of children dying every day. Um, They're in the thousands now. So it seems a pretty sensible thing to call for. So, you know, um, that's at face value. But once you kind of dig under the surface a little bit, you kind of maybe find some of the reasons why um, he's reluctant to call um, for a ceasefire. Now, since Corbyn has left, obviously, you've got this divide in the Labour Party between, I guess, what would have traditionally been called the Blairites versus the Corbynites. Since Corbyn has been ousted, um, the party has lost around 200,000 members, um, which equates to about roughly about seven and a half million pounds a year in membership fees. So that's a big hit to the Labour Party. Now, um, I, I'm not quite sure the timing of this because I'm reading about this um, this morning. Um but their largest donor now is actually um, a fella called Gary um, Lubner. Um, he's their largest donor now. He's come on this year. I'm not sure how recent that is. I think it's in the last few months. But he's um, very, very much pro-Israel. Um, he His company also, there's um, stories in the Financial Times that his company helped um bust sanctions on South Africa in the 1980s as well. So supported apartheid there. Um, So I think, you know, once you do a bit of digging, um, I I think that's probably the reason Keir Starmer's in this bit of a predicament. He's kind of balancing up votes um, across the country and trying to um, not lose those votes uh, versus obviously not losing what is very, very important sum of money. So... Uh, I know that this can't be taken as a fact in terms of the influence 
but it is a fact that this person is giving millions of pounds to the Labour Party. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's around five million pounds, um, apparently. So he is now the biggest donor to the Labour Party, very much pro-Israel. Um, and no doubt, um, I've, obviously, we, I, I've, I've got no um, information on what's going on behind the scenes and whether pressure is being put on Keir Starmer. But, you know, I think it goes without doubt, even if this person isn't putting pressure, the fact that he's pro-Israel and anti-ceasefire will obviously have an influence on the Labour leader. So so these 50 Labour members of Parliament, they must have known that this would be the big story, bigger than the fact that uh, the Conservatives were put in a certain position, because actually the 50 Labour rebels are saying, we aren't going to obey your direct instructions, Keir Starmer. And that, as you know, James, looks like a split party it does um but like i said you know labor gets an awful lot of votes um from from the muslim um community um in the uk so these mps um i think you know uh, i was reading this morning i forget which mp it was said that this is the most amount of emails that they'd had since brexit so this is a big deal, um, you know, and if you're if you're a Labour MP, an inner city Labour MP, you're probably worried about your about getting reelected before <laughs> worrying about whether Labour gets into power. So, uh, you know, there, there are these two conflicting forces pulling the party at the moment, the finances and then obviously the actual voters themselves. Uh, this is slight um slight uh, revelation redemption for the conservatives because it pushed them off the front page in a way uh, because the story is of the rebellion but don't the rebel mps have it worst of both worlds now number one they've made the labor party look split number two it still happened so all of the people they were trying to appease will be angry with their party yeah, but I guess if you're an MP, um, you know, the, the list is if you can you can go on to any of the newspapers and find out which MPs voted which way. Um, you know, they they've they've drawn a line in the sand. I mean, I think the bigger story of this actually is Sakir Starmer's leadership. Um, he hasn't really had many big challenges since becoming leader, certainly not with his own party anyway. Um, and I think this does highlight um his weakness, actually, as a leader um, in, in the Labour Party. Um, there's many things that he could have done for this. Um, did he have to whip the party, for example? Mm. Maybe he should could have given a free vote. Um, obviously, he's tried to see off the rebellion by putting in his own amendment, um, but that was voted down. So it's um, <laughs> it's clear, you know, he's, he's not really taken the temperature of his own party um, and I think that's what the story is really about, is actually the weakness of Keir Starmer as, as a leader. Uh, his uh, position, of course, isn't helped by the fact that his support for the Tories didn't make any difference because it would have gone through anyway. Uh, uh, the, the nuance here apparently is that they want humanitarian pauses, but not a ceasefire because that would help Hamas regroup. It's a very subtle argument, in, in my opinion, somewhat um uh sort of obfuscating the fact that a lot of people are dying why do you think Keir Starmer didn't take a slightly different position which is we will support a ceasefire 
Um, uh, it won't get through. It won't get through because the Conservatives have a majority. But at least we look like we're on the side of of humanitarianism. Is it literally down to that five million pounds that he's getting? Um, I haven't been through all of the finances. Um, I did see the story breaking last night, so I did a bit of digging. Um, mm. And that's what I found out. It might be that they've got more donors um, that we don't know about um, that are very much pushing um, against um, any kind of ceasefire. Um, yeah, it, it's a difficult one for him. It is a difficult one. Um, but I do think, like I said, he's not really shown leadership here um i yeah i mean in a, in a it, way it I has can... taken the it has taken the tories off the front page um you're right um in terms of the long-term impact that is difficult to gauge at the moment i think it really mm. does depend on what happens with the conflict and this is the thing now because he's met, taken this position um, I think it makes it incredibly difficult for him to back down now unless there is a big movement or something big happens in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess if nothing happens going forward now, then he will be known forever as the person who didn't call for the ceasefire, which could hurt Labour in the polls um, next year in the general election. Uh, Jethro says in the TNT chat, uh, it is the role of the MP to express the will of the electorate and not the will of the party. What do you think the will of the electorate is? I, we haven't got, uh, I, I haven't seen a, a, a survey on it, but what do you think the voting public wants? I'm guessing, and this is just just purely mm -hmm. me putting my finger in the air um, and um, coming up with a hunch. I suspect. Yeah, I don't. I, 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 I was going to say my gut tells me that probably it would be very finely balanced, but that it would be against um, a ceasefire. Um, certainly within the Labour Party, because they get a large proportion of their votes um, from the, um, the the Muslim bloc. I think probably that would be the other way round. I think that's why we're seeing the, these problems and this split between the Labour Party in the wider public. It's difficult to gauge really um mm. i think it will be close um my own personal view is why would you not call for a ceasefire when mm. thousands of children innocent children who've got nothing to do with this conflict i think 50 percent of the residents mm. of gaza are under the age of 18. um i think that what hamas did was despicable um but that doesn't justify killing um you know thousands of children and just calling it collateral damage i i think that is unacceptable and also yeah. i you know i would question whether it actually stands up in international law i suspect that if you take it as the letter of the law um, on the geneva convention that actually israel has broken international law uh and this actually ties into something which you and i interacted about some weeks ago when i attended a press conference by the palestinian ambassador in in london and he made this interesting point james he, i asked him uh who he felt was to blame for the situation and he pointed out it depends on your starting point if it's the beginning of october 2023 you could blame say hamas if you go back to the balfour declaration a century ago then it gets much more complicated because 
there's been a lot of land grab, a lot of oppression and so forth. And he was really quite, he was maturely circumspect about the situation. My concern, James, I don't know what you think about this, is that much of the time, the commentary we're getting from politicians and the old legacy media just tries to paint everything as black and white. And it doesn't really seem to fit the circumstances. What's your view? Yeah, I'd agree with that very, very much. So um, there is also these stories, um, and I'm not quite sure what to make of this yet, but there are stories about the oil and gas fields um, off Gaza, which is actually in um, Palestinian territory. Um, there is a lot of stories circulating at the moment that basically there's a plan between the US um, Europe and Israel that um, Israel will take control of those gas and oil fields and start and the plan is that that will be then the new source of gas for Europe so there might be geopolitics actually um, impacting on this situation as well because of course you know we have to go revisit the 7th um, when mm. Hamas flew over the wall in those flimsy paragliders I mean it really does if you speak to mm. If you speak to Israelis with um, knowledge um, on the situation, I've had Efrat Fenningson on the show. She was actually, she worked in the IDF. And she said it's just incredible that these flimsy paragliders were able to fly across the border there, given the security apparatus that Israel has. And of course, mm. there is a big question. Well, why did that happen? We know that mm. Egypt warned Israel that this was going to happen. So they were forewarned. And yet on the day, um, Hamas were able to do this. So there is a wider question. And like I said, this is just a question at the moment about whether actually Israel allowed this to happen so that it could um, formulate this response now. I don't know the answer to that question, but I think there's enough evidence there that it is a, a, a credible question to ask. Mm -hmm. uh, last of all, uh, returning to the, the breaking story from last night in British Parliament, what are the likely consequences, if any, for Keir Starmer? Or do you feel that the Labour MPs who felt obliged to represent their constituents will now settle back into line? I think that largely depends on what happens now in Israel and Gaza. I should imagine if um, if, 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 if Keir Starmer's got any sense he'll be watching very very closely and looking for something to change on the ground or mm. even make something out that something has changed on the ground so that he can change position i think mm. staying you know if if we're if in two weeks three weeks four weeks time if we're still in the same position i think the pressure is going to build and build and build for him to change position i think it's going to be very very difficult for him not to do that to be honest mm -hmm. James, thanks very much. That's James Freeman. You can listen to him as well here on TNT Radio. Uh, hopefully you agree with me, a circumspect, uh, very measured perspective on what's going on in British politics. Well, we've been all over the world today. Uh, we've been in Australia. We've been in Bulgaria. We've been in the UK and we've even touched on the United States. But my time is up. I just want to read uh, what Jethro says. Lawfully, an occupying force can never defend itself because it maintains an attacking position by its occupation. Uh, thanks for that. Chris says motorized tank gliders would have been picked up uh, by the presumably by the uh, uh, the systems. Keep your calls and comments coming. We are here 
all day, every day, all week. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 0600 GMT. Thanks to the team. Thanks to the gallery. Thanks to my guests. And thanks to my fellow presenters. It's always a pleasure to be here. And do keep your calls and comments coming to the home of free speech with me, Lambert Topic, right here at TNT Radio. Radio.